Hello, listeners. Welcome to the show. I'm excited. This is the week I'm launching Stand Up Science, my new live show, complete with me, other comedians, scientists, and you get to be involved as well, all live October 11th in Madison. And then the following week, I'll be in Minneapolis, Chicago, and Milwaukee, and then uh, Des Moines after that. Coming up in November, Portland, Seattle, and Tacoma. All trying these, giving it a fair shake. That's eight cities. Seeing if it works. I don't expect the show to necessarily take hold in every single city. Figuring out the uh, the marketing of it. Figuring out what shows are going to be, uh, or what cities are going to be the easiest to get guests. Getting guests for these shows is been extremely time consuming more more time consuming than than uh, the here we are podcast which is quite a bit of work in and of itself so it's been a lot of work but it's been fun i've been enjoying it it's been a good test and i would i would love to do more uh like i said before you may not be in any of those cities but you know people that are there and they're all as pragmatically as possible testing this out in small 150-seat venues. All that needs to happen is for me to fill up one of those venues. That will be a successful show. That will mean that it is going to be economically viable and there's enough interest in town and I've been able to get the scientists and enough things have clicked into place for me to pursue this further. So any of those shows that fill up mean that I will rebook the show three months later in an effort to make it a quarterly show in that city, and I will add a new city for each one of these first eight shows during this trial run of this tour. I will add a new city to try out. So if we get one working, add another one and try that out. Again, I don't expect all these cities to necessarily work out, but if enough of them do, This is something that uh, could really be scaled up and I want to take all over the country. I'm very excited about it. Uh, If it doesn't work out, I'm going to have to put put it on the back burner for a little while, go back to work in comedy clubs more consistently to get uh, the income, and that means that I have to kind of pander to some of the lowest common denominator and the Friday night late show where people are too hammered drunk for any thoughtful material and I would prefer to get out of that as much as I can and uh, and this is just a way that I could present something that's more me more of what I'm interested in and I definitely think that that's a good t- people love TED talk and there's other in cities have live events where scientists come out and give talks to the general public And I think this is uh, the future. I hope it's the future. It's the future that I want to live in. And it's the future I hope you can help make a reality for me. If you know anyone at all in Madison, Minneapolis, Chicago, Milwaukee, Des Moines, Portland, Seattle, or Tacoma, the show is me hosting, doing some science material or just some, uh, some of my more thoughtful material, introducing the the first scientist to do a 15 to 20 minute talk little banter after that perhaps a local comic doing some of their uh, more cerebral material and then a second scientist and then all of us getting on stage together to interact with you the audience where you will open it up for a q a and have a big group discussion 
I think it's going to be so much fun and uh, a much needed change from um, a, a lot of a lot of what's out there uh, entertainment wise. And so, uh, if this sounds interesting to you, I'd really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for being interested in the things that I do, and thanks for listening to this show. Enjoy. Oh, I'm Shane Moss, by the way. All right, enjoy the show. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I have a special episode for you guys today. Today, we have a Here We Are listener is joining me on the show. You all know I've shared with you not the best at giving intros. I'm especially bad at at uh, remembering names and details and and that sort of thing. So I'm going to just read a little bit. I got an email. So my guest today, Roxana Eldon, I get an email from her, and I happen to be in Miami, and I just get in. She had seen the show and started listening to the podcast, and so she writes me this email about how she's a public high school teacher turned author who's been writing both fiction and nonfiction books on teaching. And so her first book, See Me After Class, Advice for Teachers by Teachers, is a uh, funny, honest, practical guide that shares stories and tips from experienced teachers around the country, came out in 2009, and is now widely used in teacher training and orientation programs. And here's here's what sold me uh, as for having Roxana for a guest. I had... Uh, the newest book, which just dropped this month, brand new, we got fresh book coming at you guys, is a workplace novel set in an urban high school. It's called Adequate Yearly Progress and follows a diverse group of teachers as their professional lives impact their personal lives and vice versa. So, so she said during the final years of working on the novel, she was listening to the Here We Are podcast uh, quite a bit and used a bunch of the information that she learned from here we are to influence her writing and and many of the kind of character development in uh the novel so thank you for joining me roxana thank you for having me and did i nail it did i knock it out of the park is it, is that it? was a perfect intro <laughs> um so first off I, I mean i guess i kind of i kind of already got you know that was a, a nice introduction to what you do, but you're a high school teacher. What do you What are you teaching? Most of my career was spent in uh, high school English. High school English. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. I, I have a joke about getting an English degree in my act, which you saw <laughs> yesterday. Maybe you missed that part. Go hopefully. for it. So English. What's with the science um, interest? How did that come about? So as an English teacher trying to write a novel. I really wanted to get away from the typical story that you hear about teachers, which is one hero, 22-year-old that works harder than everyone else and saves the kids. And she's almost always an English teacher. So one of the ways that I wanted to do to get away from Are that you story. about Michelle Pfeiffer? <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, Hilary Swank, every generation yeah, has its yeah. movies. It's a lot of backwards chair sitting. <laughs> 
it's a lot of kids teaching the teacher how to dance. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that shows I'm she's gonna learning from them. I'm going to get real with you, kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she's she learning. She's really mad and feisty. And then the kids see that she's serious. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I wanted to just get away from that entire theme. Mm-hmm. And tell what felt like a more real story about teachers, which you rarely see. Teaching is always a shorthand for certain personality traits, but you don't have these rounded human characters. And one of the things that's missing is you never have a math teacher. You never have a science teacher. You never have the PE coach that are represented as these full human beings. Mm-hmm. So I, one of the things that I had to do as homework for this was to try to get into the heads of other teachers who teach other, other subjects. And that's actually harder than it might seem. Uh, it's very difficult for me, for example, to figure out how a nice organized math person would think. Mm-hmm. Um, and science is a little easier for me because it's a natural interest of mine, behavioral science, but to think about how a science teacher would see the world, it helped to just have that voice in my head that I got from your show. And I actually went and read some of the books of your guests also to just understand how somebody who spends all their time thinking about science and all their time doing things according to the scientific method mm-hmm. would see the world. Yeah, so. it is a, it's a very different, uh, different perspective that many uh, scientists have mm-hmm. on the world. So what was, did that process change you at all? Has it, did it make you as, as you're, so first off, I don't really read fiction. I've been, I've been meaning to, my girlfriend reads a lot of fiction. I've been meaning to read a fiction book. I, I get like one in a year. <laughs> so maybe I'm going to make yours is influenced by the here we are podcast at a, um, and, uh, but how do you, the idea of, cause there's a lot of pressure as, uh, as a stand-up comedian, people want you to like write a funny movie or a funny sitcom or whatever. And the idea of getting into some other character's head and developing another character, what, what's that, what's that process like? How, how did you, did you, so you got like an English degree. So was this just a little bit part of your background that you learned how to write like this? And. Well, I, I got an English degree always thinking I would be an English teacher. Okay. That was, I mean, I was that kid that would line up their dolls and teach them. And I, I was, really? yeah, I was a high school student. You mentioned not liking high school. Oh, yeah. I, I hated it. I always just kind of sat there and thought, like, I could do this better than you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah and which turned out my, my whole first book is about how that turned out not to be true. Uh-huh. It takes a while to, you know, get your, uh, your groove as a teacher that's I, yeah. there's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of commonality between teaching and stand-up comedy in that regard that's most most people watch stand go to stand-up comedy to imagine themselves doing it and and that's like a very common uh thing to hear is like mm-hmm. oh i could do it better than that guy and that's the thing i mean i remember telling myself that and and watching comedy early on and like i could be funnier than that guy <laughs> but like everything in life there's a little more to it than meets the eye and there's there's a lot of uh things that are learned and techniques that take time to develop and master yeah absolutely and i always think that there's 
commonalities between teaching and stand-up comedy were just less funny. But it's like that same masochistic idea of getting in front of a group of people and trying to hold their attention. Oh, yeah. For that you guys, is. it's drunk people. For us, it's children. But it's yeah. very similar behavior. Yeah, I sometimes... I mean, the college professors are like, well, these people paid to be here. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so they're, you know... Uh, figuring out their lives and and probably paying a little more whereas mm. a high schooler that's that's not so much uh a guarantee that they want to be there on any level yeah. <laughs> like certainly <laughs> i'm yeah. sure you have plenty of kids that were like me that were just like looking around to see whose paper they could cheat off of <laughs> or or figure out a way of getting a hall pass or skipping uh, class or wh- whatever it might be. That mm-hmm. was a lot of my high. I st- are hall passes still a thing? Am I dating myself? No, I, I would say that every teacher, one of the things they have to figure out early on is what are you going to do when students say they want to go to the bathroom? Because Really? Yeah, because otherwise you can have your entire school year overrun by just one hand after another Uh asking to do this in the most disruptive way possible. So every teacher has a policy Mm. of how they, how they handle it. Huh? Yeah. What's your policy? Are you going to give your secret away now? Or, sure. Or? Well, so, yeah, the, the first book is gets into the nitty gritty. There's well, I want to talk a lot about pages. your first. I'm very, <laughs> yeah. very interested in this. Yeah. I think we might end up talking more or, or at least as much about your first book as, Whatever as well. Interests if, if you're you. up for that. Yeah. So uh, there's probably five pages about tiny little procedures like hall passes, how to uh-huh. line kids up at the end of the day, how to just little things that you don't think that you need to pay attention to. I mean, what do you do when someone's pencil breaks? You sure don't let them go to one of those old-fashioned pencil sharpeners and then talk while they go. And then as soon as they sit down, somebody else is going to want to get up and do that. So it's it's a lot of it is about probably managing the crowd in a similar way to a stand-up comic, except that... You are allowed to make rules. Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, there are definitely rules that you that someone else. Fortunately, someone else has to be the bad guy. Okay. In my in my situation, mm-hmm. it, it'd be like you know, if the principal came in at the beginning of your class mm-hmm. and then reminded people about cheating and using the bathroom at appropriate times and mm-hmm. and paying attention and turning off the cell phones and then <laughs> and your teacher for the day <laughs> that would be you great. may have seen her walking around the cafeteria <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so i i guess i have it a little easy in that regard where you have to go you first have to be the bad guy mm-hmm. and then you got to keep people's uh, yeah. attention too so that's tricky yeah it's actually starting off being willing to be the bad guy is a very solid piece of advice mm-hmm. that people give to new teachers and then new teachers completely mess it up i mean they too have much hope right well, i mean it's just hard to know how kids are going to act and this goes to behavioral science behavioral behavioral psychology can you edit that out 
Oh, just come go back on. and say that whole no. word over. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, we or can not. edit it. Up. No, I'm just saying you're you're overthinking it okay. if if that's what you're. No, but, uh, but I, I can't I'm, remember what I'm what going I was going to do say, is I'm going to screw up way more than you are, okay. and then it's going to make you seem uh, flawless by comparison. Yes, all right. So this is going to be awesome. That's what I do. Okay. That's my job. So it goes back to behavioral psychology like you were talking about you really don't know how kids are going to act in groups if you haven't been around a group of kids since you were a kid Mm -hmm. so i mean i started my career teaching fourth grade and i had no idea what a room full of nine-year-olds acted like i didn't know how long a nine-year-old would take to write a page about their summer vacation turns out way shorter than i thought (laughs) (laughs) you know so you just you really you get to observe behavioral psychology all the time, but you, huh. you don't know it in, in, in advance. You tell their parents that, that, that would, wouldn't that be crushing if you're, I mean, you have some young ones here. You go, you save up all this. You're here in, uh, we're here in Miami and you, you scoot up to see, is it Disneyland in Orlando? Or is it world? Disney I always, world. Scre- yeah. oh yeah, uh-huh. world, world. You go up to Disney world. Uh, it's because my parents never took me when I was a kid, and so I just blocked it out and pretended they weren't a thing. Everybody uh, here just calls it up. Disney. Disney. Yes, so you okay. you go up to Disney, you you spend this tremendous amount of money, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know you want to show your kids the time of their life, and then they go into school and write a summary about their summer, and it's like three sentences. <laughs> they didn't even mention Disney. Are you kidding me, kids? <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> it is but a yeah. little. Bit. Or they or they spell Disney wrong. Uh, well, that's uh, that's adorable though. Uh, until until like teenage years, I think. <laughs> I, I, I think spelling you can't spell uh, Disney with two Y's uh, when <laughs> once you're in the teens. Fair enough. Uh, so. Uh, Oh man, I want to pick your brain so much about this. And let me know. By the way, we can talk about whatever, mm-hmm, but yeah. I am so interested in all the weird little things that you have to figure. I love thinking about the psychology of, mm-hmm. uh, of stand up all the time and listeners hear me talking about the ins and outs of the things that have to happen to manage a crowd or when someone gets too drunk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are, What's a great day for a teacher and what's uh, what's a bad day look like? Uh, a great day would be where you... Okay, that's a hard question to answer. Can I bring it back a little bit to yeah. something I was trying to capture you in the book? You can bring it wherever okay. you want. Be- oh, because you're talking about behavioral psychology and then well, I went off the rails. No, no, no. You're not. You're totally on the rails. Am I doing great? <laughs> yes. Am I doing okay? <laughs> Keep up the Yay. good work. Okay. Uh a great day looks different for different teachers, and that's why I had to have different um, ah, characters yeah, in the yeah, book. Yeah. Because even as you asked the question, I felt myself going to one of those go-to answers. Mm. Oh, it's where you got through to a kid. <laughs> but actually, that's not really 
my answer. I mean, have you I mean, tried nice. the chair turnaround move yet, though? <laughs> no. Like, don't knock it till you <laughs> try it. How do you know? Awkward. Won't it be like, how long have you been a teacher now? I have 11 years of experience. 11 years of experience of trying to wrangle in these little monsters and half of them don't want to hear it. And then one day you just flip your chair around and they all just perk up and you realize you could have been doing that for 11 years. <laughs> just sitting, sitting, just straddling in front of your You class. could have been straddling have all and everyone class. would have been getting straight A's and remembering everything <laughs> you that know, you said. Okay, so one of the things that I think that you're touching on that people don't realize about teaching and that the movies get very wrong is that there's this one moment Mm -hmm. where things just turn around. (laughs) And what really happens is you have moments where you just realize that you're one permanent step better than you were a month ago. And Mm -hmm. those are nice. Mm -hmm. You do have moments where you got through to a kid and that feels nice. But the next day could still be a terrible day. Mm -hmm. In fact, that day could be a terrible day because you have different periods. Um, and then every teacher has different kids and groups of kids that they find especially difficult or especially rewarding to work with. So for me, the worst class would be one where the kids are just kind of hostile toward each other and hostile toward you and nobody participates in anything that you do. Um, but that's Michelle Pfeiffer's dream. <laughs> well, that, that doesn't make for a good movie. Right. Um, but a a good day is just, you know, you, you feel that you're entertaining kids. This is my good day. You feel that you're entertaining them. You feel that they learned something. You feel that they got something and you had fun, you know, you had fun being up there all day. Um, you, you know, you felt like you were teaching something interesting, but there are definitely teachers who are, for example, more focused on seeing those test results go up. Or, you know, something more mathematic, seeing that a student that got a 60% is now at 70% mastery. Um, And then there's teachers that I think have fun all the time because they are just observing their students and they like being around kids and interacting with them, which is the science teacher character Mm -hmm. in the book. I'm going to say the second one. Yeah. So the second one's the science teacher Mm -hmm. character. So I'm getting frazzled because I'm having, as I'm talking to you, here, here's part of the hang up. This is a little bit of why I'm distracted is because I'm like, I'm thinking of what a awful student I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like I look back on, uh, cause I'm sitting here. You're a very nice person, obviously. And I meet all sorts of teachers in my adult life and they're all very nice. And meanwhile, and they're trying to, and I'm just like, every time I, <laughs> every, I'm just like sitting here thinking about things that I did (laughs) that made your life so much worse when I was a little kid. And I just like went off in my mind about that for a second and and just like completely went all ADD. So, uh, ADHD is that, is that, is everyone talking about it in the, in the class uh, these days? Is it a thing or did it hit peak? Are we already past peak medication or is it more medication than ever? You know that I would not be able to speak to, okay. but for, throughout my career, it it's always been a, a known thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just mm-hmm. um, all right. So so what's a bad day? A bad day for me is when the kids are hostile to each other, mm-hmm. hostile to you, and just 
don't participate. Don't give you, it's like, it's almost like you're talking underwater. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're just not getting any energy back from them. And to me, it's, it's very hard to go anywhere with the lesson. No, you keep going, right guys? <laughs> what do you think? Anyone? And then it's just you up there trying to pull something from them. Did you, when you were, when you were just starting, were you picturing like, standing ovations in your head you're gonna get done with the lesson and the kids were gonna be like thank you and then then reality set in or were you uh did it match what you had pictured you'd been dream you'd been playing with dolls since Mm -hmm. you were I'm, i'm sure there's uh there's so many people out there obviously there is but there's there's so many kids in your class up there looking at you like I want to do that. Mm-hmm. What were what are the big uh, differences? The main things that you had to learn that that were just completely different than what your expectations of teaching were. I would say, okay, for me, I was never very influenced by those hero teacher movies, um, and I, I know this because there was a there was a club in my college of future educators, and I went to one meeting, and they were like, "We're gonna watch." dangerous minds and, then, <laughs> and i was like yeah i'm not coming back to this club i suggested a movie that there's this movie 187 which is like it's like uh i feel like i saw yeah that. samuel l jackson ends up like killing a kid at the end or something teaching is not like that either <laughs> but i suggested that movie because my rationale was like if you still want to be a teacher after seeing that movie then you really want to be a teacher. And then everyone just kind of backed away from me. And then I stopped going to those club meetings. I like that logic, though. <laughs> yeah. I do. I think I think we really screw ourselves over uh, and, and have just our expectations for things are out of control. That's a good day for me now, too. If I have, like, if I go out and I do a show and there was no one on their cell phone and, you know, everyone was paying attention got a consistent amount of laughs and there wasn't too much of like any issues where like a glass dropped or something like that or maybe maybe a table got a little bit chatty for a second because something that i said triggered a memory of theirs and they got excited to share it with the the person next to them and that's that's a wonderful show for me and that's so much different than um what uh, the way stand-up is portrayed All right. <laughs> on, on on television mm-hmm. and what the ideas of, of what it's going to be like are portrayed on, on television. Was there any, uh, what, what about like a Save to the Bell or anything like that? Were you into that growing up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just remember, like I would actually just write ideas like ideas of lessons that i would teach and i mean oh that's awesome yeah you were working on your bits earlier on (laughs) i think so well that's what i wanted so you got to write you have to have like your uh your various material you have to have just like in stand-up you have to write out an act kind of you have Mm -hmm. these lessons that you have to teach do you have are some of them are you just mailing it in? You got the textbook. You're just going through the textbook, and then you have some things that you're especially into, and you're like, "Oh, I get to put my take and my spin on this." And you have your little jokes built in throughout it, and you have some of the lessons are just that's that's a better day for you when you get to do those ones, and then you have other ones where you're just kind of on autopilot. 
Absolutely. I mean, there's days you're on autopilot. Also, interestingly, you know, if you talk about having jokes built in. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that people don't realize about high school English teachers, especially if you get it from movies where they only have one class. If you're teaching Romeo and Juliet, you are teaching Romeo and Juliet six times in the same day. Mm -hmm. So you do that chapter six times in the same day. If you're listening to the taped version, like, you know, where the actor sounds like they're spitting and you have your jokes like, and, and you get you basically have a routine. I mean, I've I've read Romeo and Juliet 36 times that I counted. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. And then and then I told my principal, like, you have to move me out of freshman year because I can't do this. <gasps> 36 so, yes. times. It's not even that great. Of a, I mean, I hate to I, I, I hope that's not blasphemous, I, but I, nothing not into, is good. Yeah. 36 times. My goodness. Right. You definitely see books differently when you've read them 36 times. So you work on, so, so the first class of the day, they're, they're getting your, the, you're throwing spaghetti against the wall. And then by the end of the day, you got this polished act and you're just crushing it. Those kids are loving every yes, second of it. Except that that's the after lunch class. So they're falling asleep. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you're crushing it, but mm-hmm. they don't know. Mm-hmm. So. Today's grub steak is provided by Quip Toothbrush. Quip Toothbrush, guys, I've been using it for months now. I've been telling you about it. I'm so happy with it. I'm so happy that I'm angry at old electric toothbrushes. I still have my old electric toothbrush on. I don't know why. It just makes me angry. There's a space in my old electric toothbrush between the brush and the mount where it's a weird petri dish where disgusting bacteria is growing. I was sticking that in my my mouth for years what in the world was i doing take a look at getquip.com slash here we are and you can see their sleek design it's perfect it's sanitary and it's so small so sleek looking it is fantastic it's changed my life you're going to build new habits in your life because you don't need to think about brushing your teeth anymore it's got you down it's timing how long you're brushing they're sending you new toothbrushes every three months when you need them and toothpaste i get toothpaste as well with my quip that's not a sales but quip doesn't know i'm telling you that they'd prefer i tell you that they're the first electric toothbrush accepted by the american dental association is thousands of verified five-star reviewers that's what they like but i want to talk about tooth paste because i never have to put toothbrushes or toothpaste on my grocery list ever again i'm a forgetful guy i'm a disorganized person i haven't made a secret about that on this podcast and that's just one less thing that i have to worry about i don't have to worry about trying to squeeze the last little bit like a toothpaste fiend now what do you do you're gone you're out of toothpaste you you go around to neighbors asking for a cup of toothpaste like a weirdo some toothpaste hand handler with stinky breath and bloody gums because you don't know how to take care of your mouth you know that's going to get around the neighborhood now you're that guy or do you want to be the person who uses a quip toothbrush and builds great habits in their life gets the ball rolling maybe you'll start flossing too maybe you'll start smiling more get that job interview that job promotion your dates impressed, you're looking good in pictures, you're looking at yourself, you're feeling better about yourself, and everything in your life improves thanks to GetQuip. That's why I love Quip Toothbrush. That's why 
They are backed by 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts just $25. If you go to getquip.com slash here we are right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash here we are. So, yeah, I think what, what I did have to get used to with uh, teaching was more of the administrative side. Like, there are a lot of papers to grade. Yeah. Um, there's something I call report card eve, which is like the day you realize you have to turn in your grades the next day. Mm-hmm. And the first time one of those hit me, I, I had crates in my car that I was just bringing back and forth to school. And, uh, and then I was like, I don't know, how am I going to get grades onto these and into my grade book in one day? And I, I'm not, pr- I'm not proud of that moment at all. Yeah. Yeah. But. yeah. So you slacked on your homework a little bit. Yeah. It's just the, the repetitive parts of teaching are, mm-hmm. I think what not everybody realizes, um, are, are there. Have you ever met a teacher that's like, I like the grading? (laughs) (laughs) You know, more so than me, I've seen teachers that get excited when they see students master the material while they're grading the papers. I hate grading so much that I'm not even able to, you know, enjoy that reward as much as I probably should, but... Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen teachers happy when a kid gets 100 on a spelling quiz. I mean, I guess it means that they did a good job of cheating. As, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 of, uh, I, I was going to make a joke about cheating, and then I accidentally said cheating. Of teaching, as long as they aren't cheating, is what I was go- <laughs> the joke was going to be. And instead, I just said an accidentally funnier joke, which was it means they've been doing a good job of cheating. Um, so... I, I want to know, um, uh, here, here's a narcissist coming up. I want to, uh, let's talk about how, uh, some of the things, cause I thought this was really fun. You mentioned, you gave some examples of things that you learned from the podcast that influenced some of the, some of the character. Can you mention some specifics, mm-hmm. uh, for the listeners? Yeah. So, um, this, cause I'm hoping, uh-huh. I'm hoping people are going to want to pick up your book being listeners knowing Mm -hmm. that the here we are podcast has had a little bit of an influence in it so well i will say this there i I can think of a few examples off the top of my head but the process of writing this book was about 30 drafts Mm -hmm. so there may have been things that influenced me from listening to the podcast that kind of made it into the book that people will pick up on or that you would pick up on that um I, I don't even realize we're influenced by that. Mm-hmm. But a few of the specific episodes that spring to mind, uh, there's a teacher, there's a history teacher who's probably the closest thing to the teacher that Michelle Pfeiffer would play in a movie, but she's very conscious of thinking that. So she writes this blog where she's like one of those hero teachers. But the actual reality of her class is a little bit more complicated. And she's constantly using willpower to control the way she thinks about teaching. If she thinks something that might be perceived as racist, she kind of rephrases it in her head as she, um, you know, as she's teaching. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of mental effort for her. 
And then you had a guest who talked about dieting. I think it was Tracy Mann, Lessons from the Eating Lab or something, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so she talked about willpower and how your willpower gets used up during the course of the day. Yeah. And I Decision realized fatigue or something like that. Yeah, all yeah. of the, yeah, it's hard to make decisions and then it's hard to just control. Like if you're on a diet, you're more likely to over shop, for example. Well, if you're using your willpower to make sure you're thinking correctly all day, you have very little willpower left over at the end of the day. And so it occurred to me during that episode that this character is like on a mental version of a diet. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what if she's also constantly on an actual diet? And then throughout the book, I played up that so that let's say she's at happy hour and she's only eating celery. Then toward the end of the happy hour or when she gets home, she like needs to write this blog that throws everyone else under the bus because she's in such a terrible mood uh, from from restraining herself all day. Right, right. And that was something I didn't know. I mean, I sensed it from my own life that willpower is something that can get used up, but I had never heard of it and realized it in that way. So that's one example. Yeah, it's our, it's a muscle. It's like human superpower. Yeah. And it's, very, it's a very finite mm-hmm. uh, but renewable resource at the same time. We have little bits of it that we can use, and then it burns out pretty quickly and needs to be restored. Right. Right. So, I mean, and it's definitely there's, I mean, we all make New Year's resolutions, different kinds, Mm. and that take willpower. And by February, we're not doing them anymore. Teachers always say, oh, this year is going to be different. And then they slip back into their old habits. I mean, every year of my teaching career. Students say that too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Probably Mm -hmm. the first couple weeks of class Mm -hmm. are probably the easiest for you, right? You got everyone's attention. They're all excited. Probably uh, probably most of the kids Mm want to do pretty well those first couple weeks of class. And then some start dropping off after that, I would think. Well, they do call it the honeymoon period, those first few weeks. Oh, really? Your classroom is clean. It will never be this clean again. Uh Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I guess the students are on their best behavior. Even a student who consistently gets D's at some point in the year is very likely thinking that this year is going to be different. And sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's it's easy to fall back into your old habits. I think we all have some version of that. Mm. So that's when you want to hear another one? Yes, absolutely. So another thing that directly came from the Here We Are podcast, uh, the science <laughs> teacher The science teacher character, I mean, it was very easy for me to kind of give him scientific observations about people's behavior. Um, But also, I I would visit science classes and I would notice science teachers are more likely to have animals or plants in their classrooms versus other teachers. That's something I'm really bad at. Like, I've never been able to keep a plant alive in my life. Um, But you had someone talking about botany. And I almost didn't listen to that episode because it's so far out of my interest. I almost didn't do that episode (laughs) because it's so far out of my interest. Well, you know, and and you also had someone else who wasn't a botanist but talked about plants somehow. Uh And it made me realize that what this teacher's whole personality is a gardener's personality, which is whereas I hate going in and doing something repetitive he likes going in and just making small changes to the way he's doing things and just watching what happens. Hmm. And 
He does that with students, but it also occurred to me, why not make this guy have a classroom full of plants? Mm-hmm. Because that really tells you something about the kind of person that he is. Hmm. So I added that. And then that's like his superpower. Like this is a teacher. And I, I have actually seen a few of these teachers that if you go in their class, like the entire windowsill is just filled with plants and they have managed to make this like this live environment. So I like that uh, gardener's mentality. Mm-hmm. I, I never really thought about that before. I, I definitely don't have a gardener's mentality. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I was just, I was reading some book. Ekajiwa or something like that. It's all about longevity and the areas. And like, there's some city in Japan where everyone lives to be like the, their, their, uh, longevity rates are just the highest in, in the world. And people regularly live to be about a hundred years old or so. And, and that was a thing I was reading recently. They all have gardens, every one of them. They're always gardening. So it's keeping them active. And then they're all, always eating a lot of fresh vegetables yeah, from their true. garden yeah so i would love to be that person <laughs> mentality so i'm like maybe maybe one day i'll be a gardener and then mm-hmm. but that's not going to happen it's it's not who i am but that's uh um uh, yeah that's that's interesting that you constructed the, that and made it a part of someone's uh personality let's do one more one, one more, more here we are influence and then we can stop talking about me and uh, and the influence that I've had. I, I might think of a few other ones, but so you also had it was two people that were researching. It, they did a book called like Why Women Have Sex, uh-huh. which by the way I had David on my Boston Goodreads Cindy for a while, stuff. and then I took it off because I was like, uh, all my friends are just going to see it? why women have sex. Oh so, my goodness! I know. Well, now look. I'm well, it's about it. it's it's the context of it. Sounds right. it's one of those. It's very it's a very clickbaity kind of title. <laughs> right. What is this? But the content is mm-hmm. is really mind blowing. Well, what I liked about it, they they said there was some like there's like two hundred different reasons, mm-hmm. and just that concept just got me thinking. There's a specific. There was a specific character who makes really bad dating choices. She's really beautiful. So she has her choice of people to date. But she consistently picks, um, you know, bad people to date, uh, one in particular. And I was getting a lot of comments um, from people I would give the book to to read. And they would just go, I want to punch her in the face (laughs) when she goes for this guy. So... That was probably the relationship I did the most revising to. And just thinking about that concept, like there's so many different reasons that a woman would choose to date someone. Yeah. But you, you got to ha- give her like a good reason. And so I, I was able to pick some of the examples that they gave kind of clicked into place. I don't want to give away too much of, a, yeah, of the actual yeah, book. No, but That's interesting, though. Um, I think that I was able to make it more understandable why she would go for this guy. I had to tweak his character a little bit, mm-hmm. give him some more selling points. Um, and then in the end, I think that it turned out to be I, I stopped getting I should say this. I stopped getting the comment where people didn't understand why she would make that decision. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's always irritating for me when I see fiction and I just like don't understand. I, I was watching Sharp Objects mm. on HBO, um, and uh, my girlfriend and I were watching, and there's just like 
these bizarre character choices that just don't make sense. And I'm just like, I'm not like my, I can't suspend my disbelief enough. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's not how anyone would behave in that. Never mind the fact that you can't etch words into your own back. Uh, <laughs> Duh. I didn't, but, see, the, I didn't but, see the show, but that's but, funny. But, but like, uh, there, there's just all of the these like really bizarre, like out of nowhere, like, wait, what? Why is <laughs> right. this? Why would a sister be behaving this way? And that is such an important thing when, uh, when, when constructing a world. Uh, and I've never, I've never, and I'm sure never will take a whack at writing fiction. But uh, what an interesting um, thing to to build this world and then have these these rules that need to make sense to the to the reader in this world that you've built. And then when you have a character that kind of deviates from this and does it in a way that doesn't make sense, you get feedback like that from people. Do you have do these characters do they live in your head now? Do you do you ever have dreams with these characters uh, where you're like hanging out with these characters ever? Not dreams and not anymore. Now that the book is finished, not at all. But during the years that I was writing the book, I really felt it was almost like you can put the different sunglasses on for different characters. So if you're having a conversation, you say like, I'm talking to someone that annoys me a little bit, but if they were talking to this person, they would be annoying this person a lot. Uh Or I would be annoying this person a lot. Like sometimes you... I think right. a lot of writing, and maybe I'm, I shouldn't be speaking for all writers, but I feel like one way that writers are different from comedians is that we have these good thoughts about, you know, things we should say, ways that we should react, but they don't come to us in time. So like I could never be in front of a crowd and just respond to a heckler with the perfect line. Well, I only do that when I have to. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm also, I'm also, some comedians are really quick like that. I am, I am not a fast thinker. I'm not okay. a improviser. Uh, I'm getting better. It's mm-hmm. a tool that you can build over time. Um, and the hosting this podcast helps, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I don't, even with like board games and things like that, I, I can, I can really put together a great strategy. Hmm. given the time but anything with a time constraint uh i'm i'm like not a fast reflex okay. kind of guy so you actually don't need it stand-up's more about good writing okay. but I, I have a little i have characters in my head that i sometimes do i sometimes construct characters in a mm-hmm. in a joke and then i'm like talking with them and hey i have a new character that is like a old well, you know, he's just like a old country <laughs> guy who is, you know, kind of seeing all he wants to see in life, and you know, and it's just like uh, just doesn't get too excitable. You know, once in a while he perks up here, and it's usually just kind of a disappointment. Uh, <laughs> there goes hope again, just filling me up with promises before it flushes out my system. Like, <laughs> They almost not agreed with my system too much. (laughs) So that's like a fun. I have, I always have, uh, I always have like a few characters like that Mm. in rotation when working with. So that was like, I was writing some particularly kind of depressing material about, about hope. And I was like, and I was picturing like a guy that's just like been beaten down by it. And that's where that, 
uh, character, uh, developed, but it's, it's, uh, that's, um, but I might, I might be able to use those characters on stage here and there eventually, but. So can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. So that character, do you feel like to a certain extent, that's like an aspect of you that you can strain out and put into one character? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's like an old too. man yeah. version of me. If I'm living on a ranch when I, <laughs> when I, when I'm older. Right. Uh, just with a cooler accent. So you can step inside that person's head because you uh, have enough of that ingredient that it's there. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So I would say that that's kind of what, what happens that as you way to put it, I guess. <laughs> oh no. Can <laughs> you, you come back out of him? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you come <laughs> back out of him? That's what I, that's what I imagine most of my audience is how they're going to react. <laughs> that's how my girlfriend reacts to those characters too. <laughs> Slightly amused for roughly 15 seconds. <laughs> and then it's like, can I talk to Shane again? <laughs> what if you just, just stay in that character for the rest of the show? Oh, yeah, that'd be neat. Yeah. I could do my Midwestern character. It's just like real happy about everything. And it's just like, likes neat things. I don't like the content so much. I don't know what the heck they're talking about so much. But just like it's nice when they're using voices and stuff. And that's just fun. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so the, for some reason, the accent that you're doing, and I'm, I'm from the Midwest also. <laughs> I'm from Chicago, which is a little different from, you're from Wisconsin, yeah. right? Um, but we're, Midwesterners are supposed to be very nice and oh, yeah. not like conflict, right? Well, Chicago Chicago's people do like conflict. Different, yeah. I mean, but, um, I have, I mean, I, I know people that kind of talk like that oh, and yeah? they're conflict avoidant. Yeah. And I, I always feel like that to a certain extent, like you got to put that somewhere, oh, right? Yeah. That That's oh, a novelist. Yeah, like, like the, where uh, is that uh, hostility I'll tell going? you what you don't do. You don't talk about it. Okay. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You stick with yeah. the sports and the and the weather and you just bury all the rest of it deep down in there. I don't know where it goes. I guess in a, hopefully in a box somewhere. Hopefully it's not hurting me too much in the long run. You know, I just like to stay positive. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, staying positive is a, is a tough one for me. <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure it's terribly healthy um, <laughs> to be positive yeah. all of the time. But that's it. But you must. I I do these uh, I do a couple dumb characters. One, because uh, this is new. The audience didn't know that I have silly characters that I do in mm-hmm. my head. And so that's, that's hopefully fun for people for a quick 15 seconds. But two, um, I do this for like a week or something like that, developing, mm-hmm. developing a joke. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, kind of, I mean, sometimes I can pull that character out or whatever, but when you're, when you're writing a book for years and going through 30 different copies of the manuscript, you're, mm-hmm. you're living with these, these people in your head. Do they, do they change you? Do they influence who you are? I think so. You know what? I would say the thing that I've noticed about myself that changed the most over the course of writing a fiction book is that I think I'm more empathetic toward a wider group of people. Because um, some of the characters that I wrote were not people who I would naturally like mm-hmm. and would not were not people that I would want to hang out with. And I, you know, I kind of started out like, oh, let's capture this annoying character trait that you find in a certain group of teachers. Mm-hmm. 
But over time, you have to 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 be fair to a character and to make them a well-rounded character because some of your readers are going to relate more to that character and they're going to turn against you if you if they feel that you've been unfair. So even if there was a trait that I found annoying or even just something that I don't click with, I always had to give the person a really good reason for making the choices that they do. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, I I think that I'm more likely than I was before I wrote the book to think, you know what, if I were that person in that situation, I would be doing exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what I like to do is I like to um, I like to construct a character in my head of someone who I disagree with. Mm -hmm. And then I like to win arguments against (laughs) them in my head. Oh, that's my jam. That's and I would say this in that situation. Bam, gotcha. Voice I created in my head. I just Shame won an argument win. against myself. That That's like a third of the time if I'm not paying attention when someone's talking to me. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm winning arguments in my head or writing really good emails in my head. <laughs> so uh, let me just, because uh, I want to hear, uh, I don't want to screw up the name. What was the first book again? Uh, the, the name of your, uh, uh, see me after class advice for teachers by teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine I have a lot of teachers listening and this is something that might interest. What, what, uh, what was the process of this book? Did you go around just collecting essays from teachers? What, what is it? That, this is, mm-hmm. I should tell the listener that we put this together way last minute. You mm-hmm. email me and I was like, okay, I can meet up with you after the show and do this podcast before I have to leave, mm-hmm. but I will not be able to prepare in in any way. So I haven't gotten a chance to look at any of these uh, That's okay, these yeah. Books. So See Me After Class was a book that I wrote about four years into my teaching career, and I began it during my younger sister's first year of her teaching career. So that was the inspiration for it, which was just, I was giving her the advice that I wished someone had given me when I started teaching and it occurred to me like there's nothing out there that gives you a combination of humor, practical advice and honesty. Mm -hmm. And so I just started asking teachers about their first years and I contacted a couple hundred teachers and talked to them about different aspects of teaching. And then I tried to weed out what I would consider the cliche answers, or I would try to get to the bottom of them. So, you know, you could probably think of like the top five things that teachers say, oh, as long as you make a difference, as long as you, um, yeah, right. And, but I mean, it's just so the first thing that pops into your head. Um, but I really wanted to get advice on specific things. So there's like a whole chapter on grading, how to keep up with grading, uh, what to do if you didn't keep up with grading, uh, classroom management, how to start the year, then what to do if and when it goes wrong, mm-hmm. um, then what to do if it's way far gone, because that's the thing. Like People will tell you things like you should be positive, you should give consequences and rewards, you should be consistent, mean what you say, follow through on what you you know told the kids you were going to do. And all of that is really good advice, unless you messed up so badly at the beginning of the year that your class is now just chaotic 
or like the kids have made a game of seeing if they can make you lose your temper. So I also address that. Like, what do you do to get your class back on track? There's a lot of stuff that would be boring. I, I know what you do. Uh-oh. You don't think <laughs> Turn this the is chair around serious? <laughs> <laughs> oh, why not show? Why not show dangerous minds to them? Uh, that, that's that you can always get their attention with the movie day. Right. Kids well, love a good movie day. A movie day is for uh, substitute teachers for either substitutes or a day when you are, are not emotionally prepared to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I actually, I, I do a lot of speeches for new teacher orientations as a result of that first book. And I always say like, have a backup activity, have like packets of busy work, not because that's your teaching style, but because you never know you may have, I mean, you may break up with someone on a Thursday night and walk in on a Friday and, uh, you're reading about the Holocaust and a kid goes, Oh, this is boring. <laughs> you know, yeah. so maybe that's not the day, you know, for you to introduce a new unit that you're really excited about. That's actually something I more try to address in the novel. Like what happens when something in your personal life leaves you very emotionally raw? And then sometimes things in the classroom can push that same emotional button um, mm-hmm. and you're more likely to do and say things that you wouldn't do and that you're going to regret. So movie, oh, it's yeah, not good yeah. practice to show movies in your classroom. However, what about like fun music, like showing some okay, go videos or something like that. Some stuff. <laughs> I'm just what? messing. With yeah. You. I mean, <laughs> you, I have always had a couple of videos in the class just in case I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. And once a year I did. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, my worst, I think my worst day where I, I sat there just going like, I'm really not a good teacher right now was when I borrowed the movie Freedom Writers, which I never stopped complaining about how unrealistic unreal- that movie is. Um, I borrowed it from the teacher next door and played it so uh, I could catch up with grading and also just it, it was one of those. You it was that day of the year. But the kids love that movie and they found it so inspiring. What what is this movie? <laughs> Freedom Writers. It's like the next generation version of um Dangerous Minds, which is the oh, Michelle Pfeiffer dear movie. Goodness. Yeah. So it's yeah. you know, the teacher gives the kids journals and then they write about their how their lives are hard, and then she's like, you know, you guys are the real heroes. And which <laughs> I have so many problems with uh, glorifying the teacher who who does that and with movies in general that are based on someone's account of their own teaching where they're the hero. So th- that pushed all the buttons. But then the thing is, because I taught writing and every now and then I would have a student that would kind of be trying to butter me up for some reason or they would really think it was a compliment and they would say, you know, you remind me of that teacher from... Freedom Writers. No, yeah, like I hate that I'm like, teacher. do not ask me for anything right now. Yeah. 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 But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I mean, yeah, so I really had to watch like the inspired eyes of my students looking toward that TV, watching Hillary Swank teach the class that I was supposed to be teaching. 
And uh, that that made me feel really bad. Are there any things, are, are there any like uh, cheap kind of like tricks that teachers use that drive you crazy? Like comedians, you see a comedian and you're like, oh, that guy's a hack. He's just mm. getting easy. Like are there, uh, are there like uh, teachers that bring their guitars in to teach their <laughs> lesson like this guy come uh, on in movies there are always teachers <laughs> that always have a guitar and that's guitar. a sign of a good teacher for whatever reason <laughs> that is a good question i mean i yeah. think like if you're just doing whatever uh gets the job done as a teacher mm-hmm. you're you're like using whatever tools and maybe you don't need to be doing this groundbreaking art that has never done been done before but there yes. must be a couple well of. it's interesting that you say that because so t- so yeah comedians you feel like if they're doing material that's been done too many times like you know everyone oh my mother says this she's from this culture this is what she sounds like when she's yelling at me she threw a shoe at my head right mm-hmm. um the old shoe <laughs> yeah but with teachers, it's almost like the opposite of that because you go in thinking that you need to do everything in a very original way. If you're using the textbook, you're doing something wrong because they say, oh, don't just get in there and open the textbook. But the textbook is also there for a reason. Mm-hmm. So at least when I was a new teacher, I think I tried to do too many things from scratch when in fact, the teacher next door to you, if she's a decent teacher, has a lot of tricks that she can u- that you can use that uh, aren't that original, mm-hmm. but they really work. And so, I mean, just, I, I'm trying to think of a good example. Of- so you got to stay on top of those spitballs. So you start, <laughs> the, the, the kids see the spitballs adding up, and then they get it in their head that this is a spitball. Uh, uh, anyone can just spitball <laughs> that after I've never had someone ridiculous throw a spitball. Right oh, or are a spitballs paper airplane. done? Yeah, so the... Interest, no more spitballs. That was not a problem. Phones are a big problem. Yeah. Kids just crumpling paper balls, paper into balls and like launching it in the general direction of the garbage is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like if the images associated with teachers, you almost never see. So you, I never really saw spitballs, never had anyone make a paper airplane in my class. No paper. No, airplanes. they throw erasers. They throw paper balls, never paper airplane. And I mean, it's so inefficient to make the paper into an airplane. Just make it into a ball. And then apples, like, I don't know teachers who eat apples. I've never seen a student. Like, I don't even know how apples are supposed to fit into the teaching experience (laughs) at all. But there they are. Yeah. I mean, it might have been, uh, there, there may have been a a period of time around, Mm -hmm. around the time when these institutions were fairly new where apples were a real sought after commodity and quite the gift to, <laughs> to give to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. Uh, so, and that was, that was really a way of, of getting on a teacher's <laughs> good yeah. side when, when he only saw a, a good, nice, fresh, firm apple uh, once a year. So. <laughs> right, right. Now a Starbucks <laughs> gift card is probably the way to go. Yeah. 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 Not unwrapped food. Right. Um, well, so if people want to, uh, learn more and check out your book, is it, uh, where, where can they go? Where's the best place to go and find it? Do you uh, have any a, bookstore. Any yeah, bookstore? It's called Adequate Yearly Progress, um, which is a phrase that any teacher has probably heard more times than they want to. Um, and yeah, you can go on any online bookstore or 
you have any like a website store. or anything like that? My website is yeah. RoxanaEldon.com. Terrific. So there's links there also. Um, and and if I if I miss something that you want to mention, you're you're welcome to. Uh, oh, and there's lots of resources for teachers on the oh, website also. Good, terrific. Uh, all right. Well, I have, as you know, I have my guests each week plug a charity of their choice. What would you like to plug? I'm gonna go with vote.org Woo, for voting. obvious reasons, and that uh, while you're on there deciding if you want to donate, it's really easy to check if you're registered and to register mm-hmm. to vote. Terrific. Well, thanks for reaching out to me. Thanks for joining me on the show. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank you for all of the above. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. And I'll talk with you next week. Next week on the program, Sarah Shack joins us. We're having a conversation about mobile DNA and junk DNA. It's a great reminder about how evolution doesn't necessarily go the way that people picture it in their mind. It's not necessarily moving towards some perfect state. It's not necessarily something that evolves isn't necessarily quote-unquote good. Something that gets selected for isn't necessarily quote-unquote good. We don't even know if the majority of our DNA is doing much of anything at all other than moving about in our body in unexpected ways. Who knows what the heck it's even up to? Check it out next week. Fascinating, fascinating conversation. So important. It's just just another little aspect of evolutionary theory that hasn't been highlighted enough on this show. I'll just say that. So make sure and tune in next week. And, man, stand-up science. I'm so excited. I hope you can make a show. Again, I'm performing it in Madison, Minneapolis, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Des Moines. That is in October. And then in November, Portland, Seattle, Tacoma. You can go to shanemossmauss.com to find out more. Thanks for all the lovely ratings and reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you, Editor Jimmy Martin, for making this podcast sound fantastic and for the outro music provided by Kentucky Nightmare. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. If you don't shut your mouth, I swear to God, I'm moving out If you don't shut your mouth I swear to God